0: Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show
1: description to support now. It's gone mad Sounds. Someone goes out
2: to Mr. Alan smile.
1: Arctic Monkeys' fourth studio album and was released in June 2011. Its predecessor, Humbug, had displayed a new style and a very clear development of their sound, It earned them respect within the musical community. Yet there were some fans who weren't so keen on the latest brand of the Monkeys. Suck It and See was an important album. One, for those fans who had maybe lost interest, and two, for the band as they transitioned from the dark and loose Humbug style to the refined and massive-selling AM. Suck It and See was what came in the middle. And because of that, it's probably the most forgotten album outside the Monkeys fandom. But it's an album containing some of Turner's most poetic love songs and some of his most hilarious witticisms, all packed inside with bright and jangly guitars. Hello um, and welcome to another Arctic Monkeys album podcast, joined by our esteemed panel of Arctic Monkeys lovers, um, so now onto our third podcast, guys. We could even call you Arctic Monkeys critics, right? I think that would be uh, be apt for um, you know the, the great podcasts that have gone before. So
2: um, I think with this album, criticize, sorry, would be my only uh, challenge to that. We never criticize. Is the only we never criticize. It. Yeah, it's only love for the albums. But right. well, that's going to
1: change this round, okay? Oh, there it is. Fighting Talk Early Doors. That is from KHF. So we've got KHF on the podcast uh, with Jacob Stolworthy. And um, Stephen Pryor, as ever, Will Sparks joins me um, for another edition of the Mad Sounds Arctic Monkeys podcast. So Suck It and See, as we've said, I think the very best place to start with Suck It and See um, is a place close to my heart, is the gig that they did at Don Valley. Um, so in the, the album came out on a Monday, basically, in June 2011, and they had announced this big homecoming gig um to be played on the friday saturday and sunday in sheffield at the don valley now i know me and steve had tickets for that and so obviously the whole week was just sort of like felt like this event in our lives like this arctic monkeys week it was incredible um so i kind of just invite you steve to to reminisce with me about that like this was you know we were um i guess what we were like 15 or 16 at this point no sorry we're older sorry we're well we're, older. we're um we're <laughs> 80 we're 90 18 19 so we're 18 or 19 uh in our just finishing our first year of uni and so i guess the the anticipation ahead of this album was maybe more than any other arts and monkeys album before it because they'd have been a bit longer um we were just a bit older it just felt like a real event waiting for this album so there's so much anticipation and i think no matter what uh, we just always were probably going to, as young fans of the band, like that album, no matter what. And I remember in that first week being like, This album's amazing, they've just absolutely smashed it. Like, we'll come into come onto our honest criticisms a bit later. But at that point, I was just like, This is the greatest album I've ever written. This is amazing. Um, and those gigs were amazing. So yeah, what, what were your initial thoughts and and how would you reflect on that week and those gigs?
2: Yeah, I think that um it was an amazing time as well, particularly, as you said, I think specifically for us, because it was probably the first time we were really felt like we were going out and seeing a new era like as proper like fanboys, as you said. I think what was really... Um, horrible fanboys. <laughs> yeah. When I think back um, and when I look at the set list, there, and I think this is true of the whole era of Suck and See, there felt like a little bit of a um, them coming back element to it. And... I wouldn't say that I feel that as much because I loved the Humbug journey and I loved the whole Favourite Worst Nightmare journey. But when you look at the set list they played at Don Valley, it reads a bit like a Greatest Hits at the time. They were putting stuff in there, like certain romance they haven't played for quite a long time. I think Fake Tales maybe made it in there as well and like other classics. And that felt a little bit like um, it defined the whole era, really. I think if you remember at the time, there was a lot of people who were disillusioned by Humbug, whether or not we like to um, change that narrative or not. I think that that is what happened. And there were a lot of people who sort of said that they they felt like they had maybe gone a little bit too far, if you want to say that. And Suck It and See really felt like a little bit of them kind of like re-steering it back a little bit. And I don't necessarily say that as a critique either, but it did feel like they were kind of like um, steering back maybe towards that traditional fan base, having gone down these rabbit holes for the last few years. And I feel like that whole event really felt like that it was on home soil in Don Valley a bit of a greatest hit set this. so it really felt like a return is how I remember mm-hmm. it. So that's me
1: and Steve's perspective um Jacob you didn't go to those gigs did you? I didn't go to those gigs I'll tell
0: you what I did do though um 10th of May I get a call uh, from a friend who says we're going to Jules Holland Arctic Monkeys are playing uh, so I went to see Jim Jules Holland uh, live. That was on the tenth of May. It was my stepdad's birthday. I had really weirded dates. So I went there, obviously really excited. And then when I was there, and they were stood in front of me, you know, getting a kind of, you know, first person view of their new image, um, thinking, "Fuck, I'm about to get some new songs here." And they played uh, "Don't Sit Down." Obviously, they played "Reckless Serenade" and they played "Library Pictures." Um, so immediately, I was just like, "I'm, I'm, I'm really into this." Uh, I love humbug, as we, as, as everyone knows. Um, so yeah, it was, it was less, I I completely agree with what Steve's saying in that a lot of people were like, okay, right now let's get back to business. Uh, <laughs> wasn't, wasn't like that for me so much. Um, but yeah, th- I didn't go to those gigs, but when the album came out, I was, I'd had a little taster for the Jules, uh, the jewels experience. And I was like, yeah, like, I don't love it as much as humbug. granted, but I like that it's kind of like the, sunny brightest position like you know it's got this brightest position and it's like a cruising down the highway style album as opposed to like the moody desert rock of Humbug mm. which we all need you know it can't all just be the, the, the moody. Yeah. um if it, they'd done another Humbug I probably would have loved it so that's my my okay. you know, experience of Suck
1: It and See um, Will, I'm gonna save you for last because I think your relationship with this album is probably the most sort of interesting in that it was so important because of your age. Um, with UK, obviously it was a journey of discovery with Arctic Monkeys. And so at what point in your Arctic Monkeys discovery did this come? Was it in like a chronological order? And what did you think of it compared to the stuff you had listened to?
3: Yeah, this one definitely took the longest for me to get to in their discography because at the time when I got into them, it was just the five lps right before tranquility bass and so i remember i put don't sit down into a mix i had like recreated a set list that i had seen them during the am tour but i don't think i really got to the rest of the album for quite a while and when i did you know it was probably it took me the longest to warm up to but maybe we can expound on that later
1: (laughs) oh okay okay well but but now i mean yeah well i guess we'll come to this but are you do you really love the album do you like the album is it just Do you love it because it's up to monkeys, or is there parts of the album that you are into?
3: I think, uh, you know, it's kind of, I feel like it's kind of their least consistent album, which is the part that throws me a little bit. It has these really high kind of, you know, cruising down the highway kind of vibes. But then it also has this kind of leftover humbug, like darkness, heaviness to it. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. Um,
3: And so I like all those parts and I like some songs a lot, but I think it lacks a cohesion that I would really like it to have.
1: Okay well will um obviously as you're 24 years old so this album coming out for you you were you were a fan of Arctic Monkeys but this was quite groundbreaking you know it's the it was probably the first real album that you'd waited for and then it came out and it was like your Arctic Monkeys album
4: yeah, definitely. Um, I was studying for my GCSEs when this album came out, or I was in the middle of my GCSEs, I think. So, um, what Jacob Lewis said, so that upbeat summer, sort of want to get the exams out of the way record. Um, and, you know, whether I was revising, finishing the exams, or just like, just nicking about in the summer holidays, that, that album was on in the background. Um, so, I think when you're 16, you can, you can call that your album. You can call it sort of yeah. your your time I think it's so close to being their best album but I sort of agree with Katie where there is some inconsistency there unfortunately um, there's some songs in there which we'll come on to later and uh, as, as much praise as I've got for some of the songs on there there is definitely some um, some criticism to be had about certain tracks in the lineup which are whether they're left over Humbug or ones that were completely forgotten uh, that I, I think this is the first the first artsy monkeys album where i could say there are some songs that are categorically not that good which, yeah um like you know which is hard to say for your favorite band i think we were sort of joking on the humbug podcast about sorry jacob dangerous animals and and things like that uh, on, on this album i think you can delve into a couple and go you know what what was that like what was that shit yeah. you know so you know like <laughs> although
1: i think i think there's the case on favorite West nightmare which we obviously haven't done a podcast for yet but yeah we'll save yeah. that for another day but yeah. let's just gloss over then as well where, where what we wanted and expected obviously we're we know we're a, a panel of our um, humbug lovers but there were the the listeners that weren't necessarily into humbug so this was like well, for example, remember that Reading gig that we talked about on the Humbug podcast, you know, what people are like, what is this shit? What They've, they've come out with two slow ones from the new album, and Nick Cave cover, fucking out like a uh, uh, Reading headliner slot. Um, and I feel like a lot of that actually just carried on for, uh, throughout the rest of that sort of era. So to a lot of people, this album was just so important to get back to being the Arctic Monkeys band that these people like. Jacob, do you think that this album gave those people what they were craving? I do. I, th- I think it, I think it did at the time. Um, I think
0: coupled with the, you know, the image, you know, before he had like long, greasy, dark, like, you know, hair and that, and now it's kind of like, it's a bit of, it's still long, but it's like, he's definitely got like a stylist in and styled it up. Yeah. So easier, <laughs> yeah. but, okay, we're kind of moving away from that. Um, so visually, I think a lot of people are like, yes, it's you know one step back to the alex that i love from before whatever um i think largely yes in terms of the sound i think um there are some songs on there which are completely them embracing what people you know love about the arctic monkeys before humbug if if they didn't like humbug uh as katie will say there are the kind of like kind of the, you know, the, the, the Humbug kind of prototype songs, like All My Own Stunts or whatever, which I'm sure those people skipped those songs.
1: Uh, <laughs>
0: I think, by and large, it did give people what they were requiring, especially because any Arctic Monkeys fan, you know, worth their salt, doesn't want them to just rehash
1: the same old stuff. When we remember, Steve, like the very first, like, nuggets of, of this album. So, Brick by Brick and Don't Sit Down with the first... We heard before... whole album came out they those were released but they're not really like they don't really encapsulate the whole album do they like it's classic arctic monkeys to to throw you off the scent
2: before an album. wait they
3: released brick by brick as a single
2: yeah yeah wow i didn't know that that's amazing (laughs) and i was gonna on that like this is an one time where i'd say i think they made a genuinely bad choice like i remember like coming out of the home of time and then there was it was I don't even know if it was a single case they they put a video up like just randomly I don't even know if it like launched and it was like out of nowhere I remember at the time like oh my god here it is there's something new and I still can't I don't think I have anything to say about that decision even now really like I don't (laughs) quite know like yeah because yes it's not consistent with what comes it's also funny what we were just saying like I think the album on the whole probably got those people back, if you like, who maybe become a bit disillusioned, but not with brick by brick. Like that at that moment risked <gasps> going fully the other way because I mean we'll get to it. I mean it's a bad song. Yeah so like it was a strange, <laughs> strange choice. And so I Do, do you think they
3: one. were like were they like, as you guys would say, like taking the piss? Like <sighs>
1: Was it was it a joke? Were they? But then, can you, you know, really just release a single as a joke, like
2: <laughs> like or release a joke as a single? Like, surely you can't do that. I think there has to always be that element of like, well, people are going to talk about it. In fact, I think did, when we saw them afterwards, did they not like introduce it as like? love it or hate it like i think they were very aware of the facts like i don't think they've literally gone yeah this is this is like our new big single like people are gonna love it like i think there must be some like knowledge that is it retaliation then to the critics
1: of humbug being their like their masterpiece and then they're like wow well, if you don't fucking like that have, have this shit
2: yeah. Shit, brick by brick weird choice I, I don't know what to say about it it's just a really weird choice but that was obviously the first album interaction moment um just to wind it back ever so slightly and again we will talk about it but we did of course have submarine in between the two as well which is going to come uh, to that yeah and, uh, uh, and that, yeah prelude as well which is which is really important the effect it has on the album
1: not least because there's a song from the, the album on there but you see the effect in not in those tracks in Brit Bit by Brit or Don't Sit Down, but in many of the other songs, you know, your love is, a, love is a laser quest, that kind of thing. The submarine impact and influence is just there to be seen. But it interests me that that's the case because also think that I you, you would think that maybe Alex was able to unplug from that kind of style and release it in like in the Shadow Puppets and in that submarine album, but he very much does. Carry it through into this album. He's obviously just in that headspace, and these are the kind of songs that he was that he was writing at the time. um Yeah, so I mean, yeah, Will, you obviously a big fan of this album. Did you notice that? And were you a fan of that Submarine record at the time, or was it something you discovered later because of Alex Turner and the Arctic Monkeys?
4: Yeah, I, I mean, I love Submarine. I, I find the most interesting thing about that album is, you know, around the time when it came out, I remember Turner saying, you know, I was asked to write a write a soundtrack for this movie, and I wrote it, and I. I didn't really fancy it myself, and then when Richard Ayoade and the yeah, soundtrackers for the film listened to it, they were like, "That's absolutely perfect," and it it just like it completely nailed like the task that he was set out to to complete. Um, you know, stuck stuck in the puzzle, I think is like is one of his. Yeah. Complete masterpiece. It's one of his best pieces of work. Could we have that on the album? <laughs> yeah, and I'm like I'm looking at Submarine thinking, why can't you, you know, put you put some of these on Suck It and see it will be your greatest album of all time. Jacob, I have to talk to you about Alex
1: Turner writing a film soundtrack. Um what would you know, how does how impressed were you by it? Is it something that, you know, among the film critic community which you're part of, is it something that's sort of renowned as well and, and talked about or you know? Yeah, totally.
0: I think Submarines also that's like the film in general has aged really well, helped by that EP. Um, mm. Any, any musician, any burgeoning songwriter anyway should like absolutely throw themselves at a film. Um, and uh, I'm so glad he got made to do it and that it was what it was for that film as well. Because I do think that's like <clears throat> the, it, it's one of my, it's to be honest, joint favourite Alex Turner project ever I think lyrically he's just just literally ticking every box um you can there is to ever tick and in fact that he didn't realize he was doing that as well just speaks to what an absolute hero he is uh submarine maybe I love the film more because of the EP yeah uh, but I mean it's a really good film but I do think it's a really well-liked film and I think people who now who don't really know didn't really know alex as much then who go back and watch it and they're like jesus christ this was alex turner you know what the hell he's been writing absolute classics for for a long time now uh so yeah it's good that it's there i think it's something that he probably it silently is like i'm really glad i did that i'm really glad i got made to do that
3: i i have a i have a question to ask you guys as the okay. resident american um the term "suck it and see" is this is this really a British phrase?
1: It's funny, like, man. Do you guys say this? I've got it in my notes here, and I've kind of forgotten to touch on it. In America, apparently, in the stores when the album came out, they thought it was rude, so they like there were people putting stickers over the title because they were like, "What the hell is this? We can't have this on like totally. in our shop front." Yeah, I mean, it's a British idiom. Yeah. Well, Um,
3: so I can I I have a short story about that. So, when I got into listening to them, I was working at an Apple store, right? And we were allowed to play music and like broadcast them onto the TVs and stuff there. Um, And so, I had like that mix I was talking about that had a couple of second C tracks. And when it came to that, you know, it just shows this big album cover that says Suck It and See. And my manager like came over to me and was like, You can't have explicit things on the tv like you need to take that down <laughs> because it was like that kind of offensive to just like yeah. have something like that playing in a retail store so for us like it just it never really made sense to me but apparently it is just like a normal like thing yeah we wouldn't have Brit's ever say.
1: considered it to be rude really but yeah. i mean is it, it i guess it for you guys is it the literal just like you're thinking of suck it fucking
2: suck it
0: yeah <laughs> like yeah <laughs> The thing is, I'm like, because it, it can't be coincidental that the last time was humbug, which is like a sweet. Yeah. yeah. This is like, suck it and see, which is like, a, you know, I don't know. Yeah. It's like, give us a
1: go, you might like us. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Which is quite a, um, an innocent <coughs> turn of phrase, really, isn't it? In, I, also in, think,
2: you know, in... I also think it's interesting, though, like, he's living in America at this time yeah. as well. Right, And yeah. he's extremely culturally aware as a individual, right? So it does also, like, beg the question a little bit, if... I would be amazed if like that was a decision that was made and then like after the fact it was like oh this might be a bit strange in the states like there, there's no way that wouldn't have been no. like yeah no and then I think that leads to the question of like is it almost a deliberate prod as well like to right, kind of right. that as well and I don't know I, I think you could speculate on that but like I think it would I don't I can't believe like a band of their size and someone like him living in the states wouldn't um Surely he'd have spoken to friends and be like, what do you think, guys? Right. Yeah, yeah. Talking, right? Surely.
1: <laughs> but there was also, there's also speculation that, you know, it's a deliberate turn of phrase to an American audience as well, because they haven't right. crack America at this point at all. It's obviously AM that gets them the notoriety there. So you're almost saying to an American audience, well, come on listen to this see what you think that's i mean
4: uh, yeah and also just like before we go on the, the wording on the album cover is so small i almost feel like they they were like if this really does down like a lead balloon let's make it as less announceable as possible and just hope everyone forgets about this album this album cover it's you know it's not extravagant at all people sucked it and uh, and they hated it so you yeah. know like <laughs> I would have, a bit more effort on the album cover front would have been nice after you know three amazing first album covers just have yeah. a white sheet and and then and just really small capital letters you know really small you know. I think it's uh, I, I'm not a massive
2: fan of it to be honest um, and I think
4: though it is kind of true of the whole
2: era which is that. I think it didn't have that strength of theme that so many of the other albums had like and I think that's also right. reflected in the songs and like the identities yeah. as well like we were speaking a little bit before about like the look and stuff but that even changed quite quickly didn't it after the album came out they went into the more like motorbike rocker kind of look and I think the album artwork kind of like it doesn't really it doesn't really speak to a theme really and I think that that is maybe a little bit apt as well to be honest.
3: I mean, it was interesting that they started it, I mean, not to bring everything back to Alex Turner's hair, but like, let's be honest, it's, it's (laughs)
2: Um,
3: you know, he started it with still kind of that leftover humbug. And then in the middle of that, he got like the haircut that like changed him and his identity into the AM era. Um, So when you look at even kind of like some of the recording stuff from the beginning of the second Sierra to kind of the end, I feel like he went through a big transformation into more of a, the rock and roll star that we know him now during that time, just like after he got.
1: That one haircut, you know. Yeah, I, you're right. I think you, it all does boil down to Alex Turner haircuts quite often. <laughs>
2: um, Did he get like the? Um, he obviously wasn't a, like a great stylist though at the start because like right. he was going for like the quiff thing, but it was a bit long. Mm. It was a bit floppy. It was a bit awkward. Yeah. Like, I feel like he took him a few years later, and then he actually looked kind of more on point by the time we got to AM. But there was a bit of like an awkward kind of. You need to buy some new products. I think it's not. Yeah, boring. he's using <laughs> the grill
1: cream right now. That's what it was like.
2: Yeah.
1: yeah. Let's get into the track by track now. Um, I, um, I obviously, as like I'm sure we all did, gave this album a re listen a, a couple of times in the last week or so, um, and I'll you know I'll, I'll come out and be honest right now. This album isn't my favourite Arctic Monkeys album. Um, so I was kind of dubious to how I would feel you know, giving it on, you know, the re-listen. Um, and, but, so, Cheese Thunderstorms comes on, and I just suddenly felt quite emphatic and, like, positive. And I was like, actually, every Arctic Monkeys album's great. Like, Cheese Thunderstorm, this is great. I love this. I'm, like, enjoying this. But I was wrong about Suck sea And C all along. I, this, is a, this is a great album. I just felt like this is a great song. This just feels like a typical... It feels like it's a little bit left over from um, Humbug. And I know that it doesn't sound too... Um, like everyone else, there's other songs that are more left over from Humbug. But this one still has got that little mysterious feel going on that I think Humbug has.
4: And it just feels to me like a really solid Arctic Monkey song. And I don't know how to describe the guitar at the beginning. It's quite hazy, quite quite mischievous guitar at the beginning. Uh, his vocals are really good in this song as well. It def- It's definitely got a bit of Humbug about it as well. Uh, I think, you know, it's lyrically i think it's one of the strongest on the album as well um and it's it's a great opener again i know we're going to come on we've talked about the single choices already but i wouldn't i I would have had this one down as a, a pretty good choice for singling um given the tempo and the quality of the tune as as an opener i think it's one of their strongest they've ever produced strong words strong words um yeah jacob what did you think of she's
1: thunder songs
0: Absolutely adore this song. Um, I think it's not only one of my favourites on the album, it's one of my favorites, Arctic Monkey songs. Um, I think it sets the album's tone perfectly. I think it uh kind of like it eases you in to this new era nicely. Um it feels to me the one of the reasons I was trying to think why do I love it so much? Because it because we all know we love the songs, but when when we're doing something like this, it's good to just like really delve in and ask yourself why do you love it? Yeah. for me, it's like the it feels like it's, it's a ballad, really, at its heart, it's a ballad. Um, and it feels, it's got like this like 70s sounds, like a 70s kind of like rock ballad with this like guitar that careens all about the place. Mm. Like, especially as it goes on towards the end uh, when the guitar really kind of comes in. And I think this album for Jamie Cook is one of his best. It's like chopping and changing the key all the time. It's like modulating all about the place and his lyrics, which are obviously amazing, it's again the way he's singing it that I think I love so much about it. Um, like the word when he says when he says the word concertina, yeah. Like his delivery of that line—it's like oh my god. <laughs> Anyone could sing that word and it wouldn't work, but he for some reason there's a way he sings it which makes it come come alive. Um, it's an immensely written song,
2: um, and it starts sucker like and see off, fucking blindingly. I think it's probably the first example, and you guys correct me if I'm wrong, of a very um, direct ballad about like a female like literally the song is just about a girl and like he's facing that up from like the very start and i think the theme of like love and relationships has been in their records before this one but to be so overt with that i don't really remember that occurring really before this um which I think is a really interesting like development in, in 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 him and what he's trying to do. And the other thing, I've always really loved the the title of this track as well, because I think it kind of plays to that. Like it doesn't, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but it doesn't really make sense. Like she is thunderstorms is like a very strange, like um, turn of phrase and grammar, but it means and it connotates a lot of different things, right, in in terms of, you know, that how hectic that, that can be and the ups and downs and the positives and the negatives so I've always loved the the track title as just a side and I think it's um it's just another great use of wordplay, even if it doesn't make sense
3: I was thinking about that too Steve how like you know there's a lot of love and relationship themes but this album this song specifically but this whole album seemed very pointedly directed at like a person like I don't I'm not sure who he was dating at the time or whatever, but seemed like really written about yeah. her and the feelings towards someone. Like it's very mm-hmm. sexy. He like uses this very kind of low register of his voice, and that that kind of goes throughout the whole record. So I like the song a lot. I don't know if I'd call it caught one of my favorites, but you know what I always think of with this song is um, it was one of my favorites in the Glastonbury 2013 performance. I love seeing him perform it live, and that it's like he's I don't know it's so beautiful live like that. And sad I've never gotten to see it live, but yeah, great opener.
1: Um, Kate, I'll stick with you on Black Treacle then. What did you make of that one?
3: I like Black Treacle. It uh, it kind of like changes the vibe a little bit, like getting a little more upbeat. There's some lyrics in it I really like. Um, I feel like the Sundance Kid behind a synthesizer. That one's really fun. Um, yeah, it's good. I think it kind of starts off, starts off strong, but uh, I don't really know what Black Treacle is.
1: <laughs> yeah, to no. I mean... Uh, to me it's it's a really old it's an old school dessert or like sweet in this like yeah
0: it's like a, it's like something you used to sweeten something up but it's like really yeah. it's like gloopy and
1: yeah exactly there's it's a like, lot of
3: like britishisms in this yeah, record that i just, But it's a really old
0: school one. Me.
1: Yeah. Yeah and like we're not even almost aware of completely what it is we're just like yeah that's like a phrase that our parents or even our grandparents might have used or like it's that, something that, you can imagine them like
0: advertising in the 60s. Yeah exactly. Right right. Yeah. Yeah. It, yeah. i think
4: the uh i think the the cover to to the release of this was just a, a tin of treacle wasn't it it's just a, a an open, half open tin of treacle uh tipped upside down mm. there's a reference to treacle and there's dandelion and burdock later in the album as well right. so may, maybe he was just i, I don't know maybe it's, yeah his grandparents school. a lot of the time uh, but, and I,
0: I had no idea what dandelion and burdock was when i
1: first listened to that i had to like look that up
0: yeah,
4: yeah I, i'd had it before it, but
1: yeah it's again it's one of those old school it's a drink isn't it you it's probably because like, it's, it's like a um
0: you only really get it up north don't you
1: yeah that's yeah. true well you could i think i'd had it like in um you know you get in two liter bottles in the supermarket right? oh yeah a value bottle as well <laughs> Thing well, we've talked
3: about before how alex turner is kind of like an old man in like a 30 year old's body so i guess yeah. that's pretty on brand for him
1: <laughs> yeah exactly
2: um Right, um, Steve, what did you think of Black Treacle? I've never really loved Black Treacle. I was always really surprised it was a single choice. That always felt like a really strange choice to me. Um, I think, if I'm really honest, if I heard it from another band, I would write it off as being a bit of a filler track, to be honest. But the only thing I would definitely say, and Katie alluded to it, that last, like, bridge, the lyrics are a joke. Like, they're absolutely ridiculous. And that's... um, it kind of like redeems a lot of the track obviously the Sundance Kid line but also I tried to pack away a laugh like a key under the map but it never seems to be there when you want it it's just so um yeah just you know relatable to everyone but also just it's so powerful One, with that, yeah. yeah yeah it's an amazing um choice of lines at the end of that track so I, I'm not I'm not a massive um fan but as always with their work, there's just gonna be gems littered in. And that is a good example, I think. Jacob, you love it. I do. I think maybe it's because people who, you know,
0: like, like you and like, you know, my brother and other people who love Arctic Monkeys say they don't like this song. I feel like I need to kind of like champion it a bit. <laughs> it's completely worked on me. I've done a job myself and I really love it. Whenever it comes on, it's a joy to listen and really fun to sing along to. And it's, it's I think it's totally overrated. I, think it's one of the reasons why i like it is how unhurried it is he just kind of like the way that his lyrics is just very slow and it's like this languid pace um and like even like the opening line that lately i've been seeing things baby. But the way he like it's like a, this long sentence that actually like takes up a lot of time in the song um and i kind of find that just really funny it's a really odd oddly constructed song
4: I think this is a bit of a ballad. Um, I think this this is a, a sort of ballady tune as well. It's uh, maybe got a bit more comedy infused in it, it infused into it, uh, than She's thunderstorms. In it. And maybe you have to sort of unravel it a bit more than she thunderstorms. It's not as blatant and it's not as like deliberate to say what he's what he's talking about. But at the beginning of the song, he's lying on the grass looking up at the sky with some girl, and by the end of the song, it sounds like he's lost her again. I I, I, I don't know. Yeah, it's just such a roller coaster of a song, but Jake. It, it, that's a great point Jacob it's it at the beginning it sounds like it's all going really well with her and at the end it's really hurried and he's obviously freaking out and he obviously he's he's completely at a loss at what he needs to say to this girl to sort of keep hold of her I think it's it's definitely a love story uh, although not not the, sort of the most obvious one um I, I love it though I think lyrically it's an absolute it's, an, it's just an I don't know what the word I don't know what word I was gonna say there. It's, a, it's an absolute blinder lyrically. It really yeah. is. It's, it's it's Turner at the top of his game. Pure poetry. Um
1: I promise this is the last time I recall my listen back, but um so I'd obviously you know, She's Thunderstorms, amazing. I absolutely loved it. I'm in the mood, I've sucking see. I I've I've been giving it a disservice all these years. It's not you know, it's not their worst album at all. She's Thunderstorms is a brilliant song. I love this. I'm in such a great mood. Black Treacle came on oh, fucking
4: hell, this is terrible. <laughs> no i'm not i'm not having that i mean it's not much worse the bubble but, had burst when, when we go burst. when we go on to the uh the next track i think you've got a lot you've got the right to i think we i think we've all got the right to say that we might have turned it off
1: <laughs> but. yeah but you know what i guess no it's not like the worst song ever i probably did like this song when it the first the album first came out because i think it is it's very accessible isn't it you know it's kind of like that Catchy hook going on, and it is easy to listen to. Um, But one thing, there's a little little fact that always makes me laugh about this song. Uh, So there's an indie night or um, called "Burn Down the Disco," which is in Angel, Um, and the guy that runs it is this guy called Vince, Um, very synonymous with the night, like long black hair, quite camp, but like you know, just a real character. Um, And his favorite Ever After Monkey song is "Black Treacle." So I'll just. If anyone's ever been to that night, I think you, some of you guys might I've have been. been yeah. yeah, I've been. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've been, I've been, yeah. I'd do yeah. anything to get
2: back there now. Yeah.
1: yeah. That is uh, Vince's favourite ever, Out Monkey song. So there's oh, his little shout-out. <laughs> <not about
2: that. laughs>
1: yeah. <laughs> yeah, fair enough, fair enough. Right, Brick by Brick then. So, no, That was not the worst song ever, it, but this song probably could be, right? Um, who who <laughs> they played Devil's Advocate. Oh, okay. We've got an early shout of the devil's advocate. I've kept quiet so far. Um,
0: <laughs> but I don't know if it's part of my nature where it's like, must defend something that's being, you know, maligned or whatever, which I hate about myself. But I think the reason why I don't skip black, black, uh, brick by brick and actually have what I think is a pleasing time listening to it is because it really reminds me of, it's a nostalgia factor, it really reminds my little brother, who at the time of the album coming out was seven, and just loved this song. <laughs> so, which That's might actually, actually kind of lead into why we you all don't like it. Is that like a seven-year-old kid? Yeah, well? yeah. I have that call and response, like the most basic <laughs> kind of, you know, what I run. But uh, I really think that it's got some good guitar work in it. Towards the end um, that I really enjoy, like you know, when it kind of like slows down, and it goes into the the, um, the kind of like a potion approaching start a little bit towards the end, I kind of I kind of dig that. Is it is it like Arctic Monkeys, you know, punching, you know, above their weight as they always do? No, it's not. But it's
1: not unlistenable. Um, well, I mean, I would argue there's two worse songs on albums than this one. So uh, I'll let I'd like to know which they, they are, they are they at are. some point. Uh, i'd like to know which ones they are at some point i mean I, 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 the the bad thing and balaclava which means that favorite words nightmare is in trouble when we get there but it's, it's not because i actually love that album but apart from those two songs
3: so we all know the story behind this song right like why it was written this way
1: was it to well, try so... to with a few words
3: right like they were trying to write an entire song with what like less than 20 words or something mm. so like when you look at it that way it's more kind of like an experiment you know, up there, and I, I can see why it would resonate a lot with a seven-year-old in that way. You know,
4: <laughs> but
3: yeah,
0: if, if, if you're learning words, if you're like at the age of learning words, brick by brick, right? Could the first three words. So maybe
3: they're trying to, you know, expand their audience. I don't know. I will say, brick by brick, as much hate as it gets. I do on my like on my playlist of it on Spotify. I've removed brick by brick from uh, suck it and see, but. Um, <laughs> It's pretty. I always love pretty... to hear
1: which song <laughs> Kate is removed from the album. There's always <laughs> one. There's,
3: there's, there's one other one that we'll get to as well. Um, But you know but, it's pretty dope I live. Know, it's like true. it's fun hearing Matt sing. I think that's cool. Um, Like in on the Glastonbury performance. Like I never skipped that. That's really fun. They speed it up a little bit too which I think makes it more exciting. But I don't hate Brick by Brick as much as everyone else does. I just I think it's kind of like Again, like this whole record just feels like kind of a joke sometimes. They're just kind of like <laughs> all over the place, you know, on
1: <laughs> Well, Will, you don't like the song and you agree that it's not anywhere near their best, but you do love the album. So what? how does it make you feel?
4: Look, you're at the peak of your powers. Your first two songs demonstrate your superior ability to, to write songs and poetry and and nail these lyricisms that, you know, um, outline how you feel about a girl and then you put a song in like Brick by Grit which is just a fucking nursery rhyme like it's just, uh-huh. it's just I and if it's not a nursery rhyme it's definitely a parody it sounds like uh, Brick by Brick for me it sounds like four guys from uh high school or secondary school whatever you want to call it. just they, they get, sort of get together in the mum's garage like you know what guys let's start a band you know I'm pretty handy on guitar he's pretty handy on drums and I've got some dope hot lyrics I can drop down here and it's about Brit. it just honestly what a load of shite this song is uh, It's just, and because I, and I, and it is possibly my favourite album I, I'm with Katie and I, I probably should go one further and write to the band or Spotify and see if they can actually officially get it off the album
2: <laughs> I do think it falls a little bit victim of the whole first single syndrome as well which always leads to a bit of added scrutiny like I think if it was just on there people would be like yeah move on but when you launch it as the first track that is it That's then you're great. opening yourself up for this kind of response so um no not not a good song in my opinion but i would i have to just try and give some balance agree with jacob on that little there's that little breakdown where you're going hang on a minute like, <laughs> this yeah this is arty monkeys
1: right there's got to be something
2: get that really like slushy like slow like um deserty kind of bit and i'm like yeah and then the last like, thirty yeah, like, yeah, yeah horrible. And then it goes back to like the, like, <laughs> and then back to what we were. But there's that there's that one little moment where I was. Yeah. Quick. Right. Well, then they move on to uh, the hell the Hellcat Spangled Shalalala. I remember it having a really uh, big response when the album came out. It was often cited in reviews as being um, sort of like the big moment or like a big single for them. And it never quite. Um, Like, when I think about now, I don't think it ever quite lived up um, to that billing. Like, I remember reading the reviews thinking, okay, this will be one of their, like, biggest ever tracks. Um, And I really... I actually think it's a really nice track, but I don't think it falls into that territory of of being huge for them. There's a few things. I think the wordplay is really nice. There's clearly loads of humour within there. There's actually two random things about this track that always stand out. One, for me, is its return on the Tranquility Bass tour with added um, keys and piano, which transformed it. Like I, I think of it almost as a, like a second song really. And I don't know if you've heard that, but um, that's really a great one to check out on like YouTube because it completely changes the song, completely changes the style of it. Um, and then my only other really random thought on this track is as a bit of a avid collector of Arctic Monkeys things. I remember buying the vinyl and then the entire warehouse burnt down to the ground. And so it became quite a sought-after piece of Arctic Monkey's memorabilia. And I've managed they actually managed to keep one. I don't think they specifically kept it aside for me, but clearly I was in the order that wasn't destroyed. So I have it just here actually, right next to me. Um, which is one of my makes it like maybe I'm more fond of this song than I would be for that reason alone.
3: You know, I always, this was always one of my favorites on the album. I think the chorus is really great. It's really powerful. Like, they make it, like, it's kind of comactic, you know. Um, I think it's another case, too, of, like, I think my favorite part of this whole song is, like, Alex is kind of, like, in on this joke that he's, like, writing this shalala, like, another fucking shalala. Like, <laughs> that's, uh-huh. like, definitely my favorite part. But I hadn't heard it, uh, the Repurpose Tranquility Tour one. That's very intriguing. I'd love to hear that. Uh-huh. it doesn't seem like really a song of theirs that's like stood the test of time but it was fun to revisit
0: it's brilliant i think that um it, it, anyone who ever if i ever speak about externa to some people who just like aren't convinced like we are that he's obviously fantastic and i describe him like as a storyteller this is the example the song i would give as an example and if anyone was like "Oh no i i would scoff at them and say they were wrong because this song Get such a you get such a sense of this character, this this lady that he's describing through every single lyric, apart from shalalala, that he sings is like it just adds on. by the end, I'm like, I want to not necessarily meet this woman, but I just I could watch a film about this woman. You could like write it could be like a script spec, and that could the lyrics could be the description of the character, and you know exactly what you need or who to cast. Um, like you, you're your study has, we i have done. Um, the devil's pedicure. Like, that's one line that you're just like, I know exactly what this character is about, this woman that he's describing. So lyrically, I think it's him at the top of his game. I'm not, musically, I'm not surprised to hear that it's Will, who is a big sucker and C fan, that it's your favourite song, because it's like got that jangle kind of guitar going all the way through it. It's exactly the song you want with the roof of your car down, driving down that highway. This is the one um it's a fantastic song i think it's brilliant and i love the title and i love like the way katie says that it's it's he's like almost setting himself up with the shalalalas because he is because he knows that everyone loves a shalala song and that's why he's added it in totally
1: it's it's also i think it's such an underrated melody this song because it's quite unconventional it doesn't really go where you expect it to go does it which i think a lot of the other songs on this album do they're this is way more of a conventional album, but this is an outlier for me, but it makes it a really strong track. You know what, as well, the bass is fantastic in this song. The bass is-, is fantastic. Yeah. I, it really is. I, it's one of the most yeah, pertinent, parts of, pertinent parts of the track for me, definitely. Really great bass uh, I wonder what came first. It could have been, it, this is one of the it feels the like the bass could have come first. <laughs> the chicken, or the dickhead, was that? <laughs> <laughs>
4: nice
1: one. Trying to keep it apt. Um Will you love it?
4: I do, I do. I I love that that the chorus is just sha la la la, which he, you know for, for, he lays down this complete poetry, like these amazing sort of diatribes and and witticisms about this girl, and then the chorus is just sha la la la. Me- I remember when um Tranquility Base came out. Um, I, I mean I know he is quite rent a quote, but like they interviewed, they asked Liam Gallagher on Radio X or something what he thought about it. It's like. Yeah, he's like, yeah, I love it. There's no fucking chorus though. Like, but that's what I love. Just, as, yeah. as, as the further you get down the Arctic Monkeys sort of journey, choruses become less important, and there, there are very, is very little chorus to some of his, so, um, to some of his music. So when you go, you know, oh, that album was a bit poppy. A lot of them aren't poppy because they don't have proper choruses. They don't have proper bridges, and so many songs start off in a completely different place to where they finish. And this is another one where it starts off in a completely different world to where the song finishes yeah. at the start it sounds quite nonchalant it's all ticking along for him it's obviously dating this girl he's trying to act a bit cool and act a bit weird and by the end you're in like an emotional frenzy singing la" along with him like it's just it's like a, a crazy journey of three four minutes i, I took the batteries out of my mysticism and put them in my thinking cap you know it, it's, it's, it's something i couldn't even dream about starting to yeah that's a great line. Writing. and. Um, you know, I, I, get, I, I understand why Suck It and See isn't seen as the most musically adept album of the whole discography. I think Humbug would probably take that take that crown. But it's it's interesting to try and work out where the influences come on this album. Um, I think there's a lot of Smiths in there. I think there's a lot of Stone Roses just because that high pitched jangly guitar really, really low down the threat board. Um, I, I, I know I know Turner was quite a big Stone Roses fan and, like, and, and there's a lot of John Squire in there, you know, sort of. Just very, very high up the amp, but I, it's I just love that really high pitched hazy sort of dreamy, sort of, sort of almost Beach Boys guitar um, that he puts in puts into some of these songs. I think the Hellcat is another example of just great jangly guitar and amazing lyrics.
0: Um, know, sorry to interject, Do you know another album that I've um, or uh, no, I've been listening to recently? I've been going through all of REM's back catalog. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, going just I didn't realize like quite how kind of like heavy they were in the early days and then going into out of time which i think was released in 91 when it was just like i'm losing my religion is on that album but the, the songs around it are very like kind of like bright indie pop and it reminds me a lot of this album mm, it's great of- shout yeah it, it's a lot like that isn't it
1: well a little segue will you were talking about you know lack of choruses in, in arts and monkey songs and i think the next song kind of um encapsulates that quite well because the, the chorus for don't sit down because I move your chair is um ooh ooh and yeah 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 so <laughs> yeah, you know the the witticisms are, are disappear for the chorus of this one um I'm quite split on this song I, I feel like I group it with brick by brick but then think of it as way better than brick by brick it's a very silly song and and we sort of see that obviously Way more in the his behavior on stage, and kind of in that jokey Alex Turner. I'm gonna, you know, do all the actions of the song, and I guess it was funny. I, I kind of got, I started getting a bit annoyed with it because it was like, I don't know if this is cool anymore. If you've just gone beyond parody, like, and obviously when you're a fan of the band, you follow them for so long, and you like watch their like gigs for a whole year. And it's like, you're still doing this? Are you still gonna go with this routine? I'm kind of bored of it now. um but no there are definitely good parts to this song um there's like a really great two guitar exchange at the end which is just also to me so arctic monkeys that that like that feels like an arctic monkeys move to have that going on um but yeah so that's where i'm at with this song i think it's i think it's good in parts but maybe just a little bit cheesy at times as well
4: yeah, I think where like Steve mentioned at the very beginning of the episode that this one really lacks a theme, this album really lacks a theme. And when you jump from a Hellcat Spangled to a Don't Sit Down, or you jump from any song to a Don't Sit Down, it is hard to sort of identify a theme of what they're trying to do with the album. You know, are they trying to be moody, are they trying to be funny, are they trying to be a bit more poppy and accessible? Like I can't really uh I can't really work it out. And it, uh, interestingly, nowadays it's really the only suck it and see song they stick in um, apart from the, uh, the Hellcats bangled. Um,
1: yeah. Why do you think they still play it? Why do you think they're so wedded to this
4: some live? Do you I, think, think I go, don't know. Is it because on? of the like funny movements and stuff? Yeah, Cause I mean, you just like
3: yeah. doing that on stage. he has got a
4: drop, hasn't it? And I guess that, that yeah. comes into the live, mm-hmm. the live selection. Um, I think the, tour before last they did sneak in library pictures which we're going to come on yeah. to next a, a few times as well and like steve said they they put hellcat spangled in every now and again with the the added um the added musicians but don't sit down it what it was a single and it's got a drop and i think you've got to remember if they didn't play this live yeah you i know, don't there could be some set list without a suck it and see song on it because they really don't play suck it and see songs live anymore um, oh no oh no so maybe they're just <laughs> maybe they're doing the set list and they're just thinking oh fuck there's no suck it and see in it <laughs> right we'll just put that one in it's pretty easy to play no problem helders will have a bit of fun on that one no problem we'll, we'll stick that in at number seven or eight
3: yeah you know i really i, I liked this one a lot in the beginning because i remember when i like first saw them live right after getting into them it was it was so memorable you know he's like doing all the funny movements and stuff on stage but it's like you guys are saying, like after being a fan of them for what, like six or seven years now, it's like, all right, man, I've, I've seen that. Um, yeah. it's funny. Um, but I will say it's one of those ones that like, I, I tend to kind of skip, but when I was re-listening to it recently, I was like, this actually rocks pretty hard. Like it's really heavy. I love the guitar solo at the end. Yeah, It's, it's a pretty good song, but I wish that they would like, if, if it was going to be a song from second and C on their tours, I think they have. I think,
1: I think you're right. It pay, There's a payoff. I think when it mm. kicks in, that is a bit of a payoff. But you do have to go through a bit of shit to get there. That's, the point, yeah. that's my <laughs> issue with it. I
2: actually think it's it's really quite good, and I think that that is because I genuinely find it quite funny. Like I actually think it is humorous, and like we've listened to it so many times that like, yeah, of course, like it loses an element of that. But like when you like the references that are in there, they're very like inherently British and gen- I, like for me quite amusing. Like even the use of stuff like obviously stuff like Bonfire Night, Macarena's, chip pan fires, like meeting a hard man, like circle holes, square pegs. Like one of the things I always think is a great barometer, Um, which is a very personal thing, but like um, with tracks and like what garners interest is if you ever have it when you're listening with like um, certain people, family members, and in my case, it would be my dad, a huge cynic with regard <laughs> to the Arctic Monkeys or any new music in fact. And I always remember, and and, I think this just plays the humour bit. I always remember this track coming on early doors and I would never make comment. Like I could play them all the time and like it would be, he couldn't ever acknowledge that they were even on. And I remember playing this track and just some remark like, Christ, Chip Pan fires. And like just this sort of like, clearly like it's it's so British and like he's listening to that going like, like it's so curious to him that this is going to a song and this is in the charts and like there's something about that humor behind that and like I always think of that moment as being actually like even though it's just like quite a light-hearted moment there's something in that which is like there is something in the wordplay there and in like the humor of this track which is even resonating with people who are are like clearly not on target and that's something that I think has always kind of elevated this track for me a little bit I think it's I actually think it's really good live as well just to Katie's piece. I think like the guitars solo at the end, I think it does rock quite, quite hard um, live as well. So I, I'm, I'm, I'm here for Don't Sit Down. I'm all right with it. My mum,
0: somehow this song has like worked its way to my mum and she just now like, she, she thinks it's a novelty track, but she <laughs> it. So she's like, don't sit, you know, she like sings yeah. it in and thinks it's like really funny, <laughs> uh, but absolutely loves it. Um, I think she does. I, don't, I hope I'm not like just... Like completely fake newsing my mum, there, but she's she, we've definitely had a chat about it. I think, um, yeah, I fucking love it. I think that it's it doesn't work when it's live. I've seen them whenever I've seen them do it, I've always had a really good time, but I haven't really paid attention any. I don't really pay attention anymore to like the whole you know him doing the macarena or that because I kind of I'm kind of over that kind of formative nature of it. It's just that drop. And twice when I've seen love, he's had to stop and go, people move back because people were just getting so into it and getting really kind of caught up in the hysteria of the end of it, um, which completely kills the, the song dead. But you do get more Arctic Monkeys for your money, I guess. But um, it's wry, it's aggressive, it's euphoric. It's that, you know, the shalala's in Hellcat with the, ooh, yeah, like, he's completely doing it because he also wants you to have that kind of sing-along nature. Yeah. That he wants it to have the sing-along nature and it works. Um, it's a concoction of, I think, all these things, Arctic's have kind of dip their toes in before mix it together into this weird little track and the fact they release released it's a single I think I kind of now have even more love for it because it was a single whereas if it was a surrounding album track it might have been a bit more skippable in my head but because now it was like part of their kind of single journey I kind of think I'm like yeah let's not let's not count out this this this
2: song and because I've paid more attention to it I've grown to love it over the years. Jay my dad. Sorry, I've heard him in many times since, like when they've released new things and they're on the TV. I've heard him be like, "Oh yeah, he's still moving chairs, is he?" And like, I love <laughs> the fact that, like, I love it that like that's taken over. This yeah. makes me feel so great about this song. Totally. <laughs> um, Jacob, uh, library
1: pictures. What about what are your thoughts on that one? So this is what one of the ones that I kind of got a
0: glimpse of at the Jules Holland's um, show. Yeah. Um, and let's be honest, being kind of like, kind of shepherded in the corner, not allowed to move, uh, and you hear this song, it's not the the optimum experience because it's a bit of a roller coaster. Um, I like it. I think it certainly stood out to me at the time as more of a highlight than it maybe does now. If I'm honest with you, um, I've calmed down on it quite a lot. Um, I like that it's like it's like a music equivalent of being grabbed by the scruff of the neck mm. and that like shook about a bit for like two or however long. It's probably the shortest song on the album actually, isn't it? Mm. Um, the breakdown in the middle, you know, when it counts down and all that. It's fun. It's good. It's that sense of anticipation, like going up on a roller coaster and then boom, you're going down. Uh, it works. I think the song works. Um, I don't love it as much anymore as, as much as I used to. Sorry. I don't love the song as much as I used to because I used to adore it. Um but yeah, Library Pictures, it's a solid track. It's a solid track.
4: Yeah, I love it. I love it live as well. I've seen it a couple of times live. I think it's really I think it's made for live music, this song. Uh you've got li- lots of ups and downs, lots of drops, lots of curveballs. Um would, would love the start of this podcast um for you to edit in 10 9 8, 7, 6, 4, <laughs> 3, 2, 1. you know like uh it's it it's just it's another example of where i can't really identify a theme with the album um i, I think we've established there isn't one now uh with songs like this uh um, yeah. the, the song is it's mental like it's it just goes e- ev- here there and everywhere it's, it's interesting you say that rap. about like
1: theme because i think it reminds me of favorite worst nightmare a bit like the the vibes of, of this song i think it's, it, it um it completely skips over that sort of humbug era and yeah. it's just it's just it's just a heavier one isn't it i guess um a bit more oomph, a bit more energy yeah um and i think for that reason it's probably a bit of an outlier on this album as well It so is, it's yeah. really... but,
4: but there's, there's still some really uh intuitive and smart lyrics in it like trust an ellipsis to chase you around the oh, room of course
1: but then that's Alex Turner isn't it I don't think that that necessarily yeah. means it can't be uh...
4: for every for every first of his kind to get to the moon there is a an ellipsis chasing you around the room and I, I've, I haven't made that rhyme um intentionally but yeah stick that in <laughs>
3: Well, and you know, it's uh, funny that you say it skips over Humbug because I always think of this song as kind of like Pretty Visitors Part 2. Right. Like it has the same kind of like nonsensical lyricism that's just kind of all over the place. The really heavy drums, like I think my favorite part of the song is the drums. Just helders going super, super hard. Yeah, I absolutely. Um, yeah, yeah. Yeah, but then Pretty Visitors is also kind of like a standout on Humbug. So it's like they have this kind of little like side side piece going on, I guess.
1: Yeah, yeah. and it has a drop. It's an amazing drop in this song as well, isn't mm-hmm. it? after the yeah, it, yeah. Dip, dog shit rock and roll which is obviously quite a an apt image to have that and then go into the proper drop of the song yeah really really cool um Steve well sorry to to interject again Steve speaking but
0: it's dog obviously like playground yeah vernacular or whatever did they did they have that in America Katie the it did do I
3: don't think so no I mean so much of this record I like I literally like, I remember one time I went through and looked up a lot of these phrases, like, especially yeah. on Don't Sit Down and stuff that you, I was like, what is a hard man? Like, <laughs> what is this stuff? What is he talking about? Well, you're then? looking
0: at four of them. I'm
2: joking. <laughs> oh, <laughs> wow. wow,
3: Thank
2: you. Um, mm-hmm. I've got a real thing for um, when you, like when bands do like three songs in one. So like, I know that commonly like the, the classic comparison is like um while my guitar gently weeps and then i think paranoid android radio head always said that that was inspired by that this track is not of course in the echelons of those songs but it is on that theme of like three tracks in one it's like the it's that frantic start you call it a drop but it's like a, it's an entirely like in, like different yeah. composition in the middle yeah and then like a third piece all within two minutes 22 and i love the ambition of that i've always liked tracks like that that are frantic and don't really follow any form so i always quite liked it for that um and then the only other thing i was going to say on this one is it was interesting i think what well, you said like about not show it not necessarily knowing what it means i think that the lyrics on this talk to the fact that it's meant to be about nothing and it's meant to be a nonsense again in a in a bit of a john lennon kind of way but like i mean the last track uh, the, sorry the last lines an eeny meeny miny mo or an it dip dog shit rock and roll that is, I think, what he's saying, which is like, this is literally a track of like a load of sound and a load <laughs> of words and like, and it's pick it out of a hat kind of job. And I think that I'm not sure there is a is a wider meaning on this one. I think that he's kind of being quite overt about that. Yeah. Um. But I, yeah, I really do like this track.
1: Just, Just to add in. Um, I think there's a bit more um, sort of experimentation going on that this album doesn't necessarily always go for. Um, the next track is All My Own Stunts, which actually used to be probably my favourite song on the album when it first came out, which is quite strange, I think, maybe to, to, for other people to hear that. Um this got the Josh on me backing vocals going on. And again, I think I would I would group it with Library Pictures a little bit in that it's kind of a bit of an outlier. I would say Library Pictures is way more of an outlier, but this one as well um not doesn't quite fit the conventions of of the suck it and see theme at all really which obviously we've kind of concluded already doesn't really have a theme but it doesn't even go near what already does exist um and there's a there's a lyric as well um which is i guess his sort of a bit of prophecy towards his film loving future of future albums which we're going to see which has been watching cowboy films on gloomy afternoons um which I guess, again, for you, Jacob, something you maybe could have relate to. Yeah, I, I'm a massive Western
0: head. Um, yeah. Saturday Saturday afternoons, where's Jacob? He's probably watching a Western. Uh, <laughs> by the way, Amazon Prime is rife with them. If you, Steve, Really? Yeah, okay. Rife with just the old-school Western. Just throw anyone and have a good time. Um, I, it's funny. I am shocked that you say that. That was one of your favourites. Yeah. Um, but maybe, maybe surprisingly, it wasn't one of mine with, considering this is like probably one of the ones we were talking about before with the humbug kind of like knockoff or the humbug sequel yeah. kind of yeah, sound. Yeah. Um, I have definitely, this one's matured for me over the years. Uh, I really, I really love it now, whereas I didn't before, because um, it, it did feel like it was out of keeping with what the rest of the album was trying to do. Um, very multi layered song, this, really interesting. Uh, feels like it's like was written and made by a band that have been together for decades Mm -hmm. uh it's it's real mature sounds um the line that jumps out to me is the um again maybe lyrically yes but the way he sings it uh which is just a highlight for me is when he says um sorrow slow dances around the edges of her eyes and it's the way he sings it and it's obviously a return to the, the the bridge from before, but he like changed it up and it's like classic Alex Turner playing around. I like the mood this song evokes a lot. I think this is a really
2: good song. I really like this track. I think it was, um, as a humbug lover, a really obvious track to love so quickly because it felt like the most um, connected. Funnily, I was thinking about this, like, reflecting on it. It does also feel like a really forgotten song for me in Arctic Monkeys terms as well. No Mm. one talks about this track ever. Like, I don't ever remember it, like, coming up or, like, really played that often. And I think that that's a little bit unfair because I think it's a a really nice track. It definitely invokes a certain mood, doesn't it? As Jacob Mm. said, I think more so than many of the tracks on this album do. I mean, it takes you to a certain... um, Potentially quite dark place, but I think it like it um it hits quite hard in that sense.
4: Yeah, pretty underrated. I agree with Steve. It's not it's not a song I ever talk about with anyone, or and it's like if you're at a um like a house party or anything like that, you never go oh put all my own stunts on um you know maybe we should doesn't really get I mean maybe maybe if you come around Matt maybe get a bit (laughs) of all our all our all my own stunts on.
3: You know, I was kind of lucky that you know I saw the monkeys three times on their AM tour and they actually played this at the very last one I saw it was like right towards the end of the tour um, and it was funny because like AM had been popping off so much in America and like that's all that people really knew of them and I had gotten really into Humbug at that point and I remember this song came on and like the audience all started to lose interest and I was like oh my god they're playing all your own stunts and was like so enthralled by it but yeah it's kind of like a forgotten one um, yeah but yeah I love it and, and like you guys said like a lot of kind of classic poetic turnerisms in this one as well.
1: Uh, okay, I'll stick with you for the next track, which is Reckless Serenade.
3: All right. This is probably one of my least favorite Arctic Monkeys songs oh. of all time. I- I'm not really sure why I re-listened to it. This is another one I keep off of my 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 playlist, the track list.
1: <laughs> okay, it's just like, there it
3: is. Yeah, it's just like, it's so cheesy. Like the line's kind of cool, but like all the, I don't know, it just seems really forced. And I just, I've never connected with it. And I like, I've tried so many times, even like the KEXP recording of it. Um, the only part I really like is uh, called to listen to the voice of reason and got the answering machine. That's like a clever line, but the rest of it, I'm just like, this is, I don't know. It just feels like, like a throwaway. And it's not like, okay. I don't know. Well, I
1: mean, look. Everyone... And I know this
3: is an unpopular opinion. I've talked uh, it, to it, other fans um... about this, but I just can't, I can't do this one. I don't
1: know what I'll, is. I'll lead the defense. and 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 for me, it's not it's not even one of my favorites really at all, but it was on the re-listen that I kind of thought that li- this song kind of is more about its lyrical content, right? And and you, you bring up that line and that is kind of like a perfect Turnerism, in, isn't it? It's just like a, a beautiful metaphor, you know, for saying he's lost or con- or confused. It's like, it's just like, it just feels like a very, very like classic Turnerism. And then I think in the second chorus, uh, he says i left my message but did he fuck get back to me um and alex knows what he's doing with the light and shade because it's like that colorful turner metaphor and then he just snaps you back in with did he fuck get back to me which is like that you know sheffield vernacular coming out but he's gone he's just transitioned it from like this really uh, wonderful colorful turnerism and then it just goes straight into that so um I think for me, this song melodically, you're right, it kind of is cheesy and like it doesn't really feel like an Arctic Monkey song. But I can appreciate the Alex Turner lyricisms in this one. I see. I think it it does feel like an Arctic Monkey song in that it's it's.
0: <sighs> Look, I have a lot of love for this song because it's like Arctic Monkeys doing what they do best in a way, which is that kind of like sanguine a bit like, you know verging on cheesy um it's almost like and obviously i'm not comparing the two because i don't like this one half as much as i love cornerstone but it's like the version of that song on this album in that it's like a very kind of i can imagine a lot of people do love this song and do kind of swear by it um but it somehow also works against the other songs they've written when you compare it to them because at this stage, a song like this is kind of like shooting fish in a barrel for Arctic Monkeys, I think. So it's pleasant to listen to, but they've done this style of song better elsewhere. Mm. So for me, it, it's it's lower
2: down the list on I can see. I really enjoyed Katie, just watching Katie as Jacob mentioned Cornerstone in the same sentence. As <laughs> I was like, like I almost like,
3: interjected. I'm like, I can't no. even listen to this song compared to Cornerstone, yeah.
2: it's just
3: unacceptable. i appreciate
2: you jacob i didn't mean to offend offend. (laughs) (laughs) so my only thing on this one to maybe fall in between everything that's been said this for me is the start of where this album could have been a solo project as well and i think like this comment i could probably make honestly for the next five tracks um one of them was funnily enough but like i think that I definitely agree with all the wordplay and I definitely agree that like it's such um there's so much amazing lyricism but I to be honest do also agree with Katie's feeling that it does feel a little bit cheesy. I don't know if it's that like sort of solo bass at the start as well that kind of evokes that. But I think as like a track on its own Alex with a guitar I love that KXP version. So for me this is just one where like it it maybe captures the best of him but maybe not the best of them.
4: Wow, yeah. will, will you love it? I do like "Reckless the serenade I, I do however think it's quite slow and ponderous in parts though um it sounds like it's quite self-deprecating as well i think it's a sort of song that travis would have written to be honest like it's quite <laughs> it's quite woe is me and it's quite you know um you know, look, look at how sad this situation is. I mean, I'd like Travis were the masters of that. I'm not saying, um, you know, Turners a much better songwriter than Fran Healy. Don't get me wrong, but um, you know, it's quite slow. It's quite ponderous, um, but it's quite it's quite cute in a way. There's some really nice, again, high pitched guitar in this um, in this song. I think the high pitched bass guitar at the beginning is probably what what would give it bad marks. To be honest, you know, it is quite. I think it's such a lazy way to start a song. Is just by introdu- introducing this sort of thick echoey bass line uh, just to bring the song in and Steve's hitting the nail on the head it, it doesn't certainly doesn't bring out the best in uh, Arctic Monkeys they all sound a, a tiny bit bored recording this song but I do like it I, I, I think it's it's one of the, the stand-up tra- tracks on the album actually um, not my favorite by by any means though
1: well we move on to uh, what can only be described as an amazing song but not necessarily an amazing version of the song. Um, right, I'm like,
3: who's gonna say it first here? like... <laughs>
1: <laughs> All right, Katie, I'll let you say it first if you want.
3: Well, just that clearly the submarine version is far superior to the album version. And honestly, the album version is, kind of showcases one of my main issues with Suck It and Sea as an album, which you guys have said that you kind of like, but it's it's this really kind of this they use the same lead guitar tone on like seven or eight different tracks it's like that really clean bright kind of like reverby jangliness and like yeah in this version of pile Driver waltz that's kind of what the whole song is like based around and it just really doesn't land for me and then you hear the submarine version and it's i don't know it's just it feels so much more intimate and so much i don't know like the poeticism of the lyrics comes out in a much different way and i don't know it's kind of like a no-brainer that
1: yeah it's just way better it's interesting actually to hear that uh it's very difficult to pinpoint why they're they're such different for me i was looking into it and like um the arts monkeys version is in the key of e and the alex turner version is in c sharp so i guess that would have a difference being in a different key but yeah you're right as well like just the overall production the the type of lead guitar going on with it makes such a difference um and i think this song just generally just fits like that more acoustic vibe, doesn't it? That Submarine brings to it. Um, and I guess I, I, as someone that plays guitar a little bit, they, it's such a nice song to play, this song, isn't it? Um, and, and obviously when you're playing the song, you're not playing it in the Submarine style or necessarily the Arts and Monkey style, you're just playing the song, but it is an amazing song. Um, so yeah, I think it's a great song, but not necessarily the right version on this album. I don't mean, just, I completely agree with that. Everything you you have just said,
0: both of you, I completely agree with. Submarine is an EP that I don't know about you, but whenever I see that it's a really rainy day, I just want to put it on and listen to it. And Hard Driver Waltz, it's it's a very melancholic track. It's very, very, like you say, it's completely suited to that one man on a guitar, uh, kind of just crooning yeah. away his emotions that when you do have, and, and Katie is right. I I do love that guitar sound on this album, but I don't like it here because it completely undercuts what the song is meant to be. Is that because you know the song originally though? It's hard to know. It is hard. Yeah. To, we'll never, I'll never know. <laughs> if I listen to this for the first time here, would I love it as much as I do on the EP? Who, who knows? My hunch is that I wouldn't, my wow. hunch is that I'd like it, but I wouldn't say it's one of his best. Um, because the, the submarine version is totally, I would say, in his top three of all time. Uh, so lyrically, the song is, but it's a bit of a cheat because, you know, he did it before. Um, the mystical sheen is gone. It's eroded with this. Product. It's nice. I listen to it and I sing along, but I'm like, yeah, but it's not as good as it.
1: Um, planning in Canon is definitely one of my favorite half rhymes in a song. It does not rhyme at all, but he somehow makes it work. Okay, so we move on to Love is a uh, Laser Quest. Steve, I'll let you begin.
2: One of one of his best, I think, really is an amazing track. Absolute heart wrencher. <laughs> um, it's it's um,
1: one for those going through a breakup, then.
2: Absolutely, yeah. It's such a strong, like the, the lyrics in this track are just absolutely off the chart i think this is really him at his absolute finest i actually think that this um and that maybe isn't recognized like enough on this track again it's another one which people like and it's maybe got a bit of like a cult following but like this really is like him at the top of his game like the storytelling um behind it you know this almost like self-denial that's coming through in a lot of it he's trying to convince himself he's feeling something that he isn't but clearly it keeps coming through um and then I think even the way like it transcends time as well and he positions himself as being like an old man and still being quite um affected by this person episode whatever you choose for it to to mean to you it's so powerful and it's um it's hard to say much more other than this is really him at his finest I think. Mm. Um, yeah, Katie. About- sorry, oh, sorry. The only thing I would say does also though for me fit in the territory before of this could just be on submarine and this could just be a- yeah a- it could and it's not that I don't think the band make it a lesser track by any stretch at all, but um, it feels so personal this song so, yeah. so deeply personal. Indeed, Katie, do you like
1: this song?
3: I do, I do, I totally agree with Steve. It's one of his kind of. Great breakup song, great kind of like introspection. You know, this one's interesting for me because I got really attached to the KEXP live recording version of it. Like, and I was just thinking how it's interesting that so many songs or like, you know, a few songs on this record have been kind of recorded better outside of it, you Mm -hmm. know, Um, but I I would pick that one any day. And that's just him with an acoustic guitar singing it. It's kind of, kind of in that same submarine vein. It's just kind of like made to just be sung by like, one guy just going through some feelings and reflecting on his past love but yeah some of his best most kind of like deep romantic lyricism and yeah i love it
1: what do you think of the title like, i think it's hilarious that he's kind of trying to think of the most frivolous or silly comparison he can for love and it laser quest is what he comes up with it was only when yeah, that- another
3: another one that i didn't that is not an american oh okay i mean like it's like laser, laser tag, tech, right? Laser tag, yeah. yeah. Okay, yeah. So, yeah. yeah.
1: I just love that that's... Clas-
3: this- classic Turner, you know, absurdism yeah.
1: there. So. Uh, no one has ever been to Laser Quest in a serious way in any way. It's just like the most silly, frivolous thing activity you could go and do is go and have a play laser quest
0: Probably
2: he's so prolific with like that use of wording that it was only really when we like started going through this album to think about talking about it that like it's triggered in my head that this song is called love is a laser quest yeah like, <laughs> that is an obviously insane thing to call a song and i think we're so entrenched in the work and having listened to it so many times but um that in itself is amazing that is so yeah. good and it's on brand
1: isn't it with this album of it's like kind of old school I mean that's not really old school laser quest obviously but still very like 90s isn't it like laser quest in the UK yeah. like no one's done laser quest for about 20 years surely <laughs> <laughs> It's uh
0: I think it's like the song is so emotive and yeah. and so just pure heartbreak being poured out that he had to be a bit tongue-in-cheek in some way. So he mm. thought, I'll do it with the title <laughs> and I'll get that <laughs> lyric in there. Um, I, I love that version as well, Katie, that you love. Um, and it completely corroborates what you said, Steve, about this, it could have been on submarine and it would have been fine. Because it's, it's almost better with just him playing on a guitar. I think this song is perfect. I would say it's perfect. I'd say there's two songs in this album that are perfect and this is one of them. And we haven't had the other one yet. Um, I think I like that he plays old man at the end, even though he basically is an old man in every way but age. Like we have said before, and we yeah. say again, like he is in lockdown. He is completely sitting on a rocking chair with slippers. I'm, I'm sure of it. Um, but lyrically, it's up there, pole driver waltz, which for me is like the apotheosis of, of Turner. Um, I love it. I don't think I loved it initially either. I, don't, I think this song kind of crept up on me. I, I think I kind of was like, yeah, like there was that song. And then it was like a few years later, I was like, fuck this. It's a bit like Dance Little Liar, maybe, with Humbug. I was like, this song has been there the whole time. It's been like a ready-made slice of perfection,
4: just there. Is the best song he's ever written. <laughs> I mean, <you> know, I, <laughs> wow. I'm straight in with it. Hey, he's shaking but, uh, head, guys. Those, those are fighting words, man. But, yeah, yeah. But I'll, I'll let I, you go for it. I think I, I think uh, in terms of a ballad or a love song, um, C- certainly anyway I think Cornerstone is always the the go-to when it's if you want to say what's what's the best Alex Turner love song or you know what's his best ballad or story I think Cornerstone always comes to mind but Cornerstone is slightly more well I say slightly more it is more of a pop song than Love is a Laser Quest Love is a Laser Quest is it, it's just a story of a heartbreak and when the guitar comes in after the first two main verses it almost sounds like the guitar's crying as well like alongside turner like the guitars had enough and broken down this is just such a sad story and i think with cornerstone he does it with quite an upbeat voice in some parts of the song whereas love is a laser quest it's the same tone all the way through it's just sadness it's tragedy and like you know do you look into the mirror to remind yourself you're there just like that feeling of emptiness and compl- just being invisible to everyone um, and a- anyone who's gone through a breakup or a really hard time can just listen to that song and probably resonate with every single word. And that's why I think it's the best song he's ever written. Personally,
1: I I think that this one is more honest. I think that there's a bit more um, subtlety with Cornerstone. I think this one's all like laid out there bare, and you yeah. see the yeah. pain of
4: this one it is just. It is it's... really painful to listen to. Like it's not it's <laughs> something I. I'm not going to say like I treat myself to listen to it because it's not a treat at all. But it's something I sort of save for a rainy day like i don't just put love is a laser quest on like out of like uh, a willy nilly or anything like that it's something like i There has to be a certain mood for it because if i do listen to it out of the blue it'll probably just bring me down (laughs) anyway it's It's such such a beautifully crafted song and i just my favorite bit is the guitar at the end where it just sort of sort of lights the song up it's like a sequence of like lamps turning on in your in your head when that guitar comes on it's just it's just sensational absolutely blinding
1: you sort of brought up that line then do you look into the mirrors remind yourself you're there and the next line is or oh, have somebody um, good night kisses got like covered I think that's that thing you do when you break up with someone isn't it you just always imagine the worst thing that you're, you're there he's yeah. imagining her with another guy yeah he's already thinking of that worst case scenario I and mean, I guess the girl in this song maybe is a bit like that she probably it sounds like she goes through the this long list of guys anyway. Um, and then another bit as well, is just, um, he says, when I'm not being honest, I pretend you were just some lover. And I think that it, it's just, this is a universal feeling to get over somebody. You have to pretend that they weren't as important as they were. It just is obviously, some it's a lie that we always tell ourselves. Um, but just to hear the candid delivery by admitting he's, he's not being honest, I can hear the pain in that line. Mm. Um, because it's normal to pretend mm. otherwise, but by admitting
4: he's not being honest, he's drawing attention to it, I think.
1: So yeah, I uh, yeah. will.
4: And, and and when when I'm hanging on by the rings around my eyes, you know that that just real lack of sleep you get, and just that sort of like proper proper depression, you know, just to turn that into a metaphor, just this song is just like littered with with little little lyrics like that, and that, that's that's why I think you know, say I know it's a big thing to say, but I think it is the best song he's, he's ever penned down, hundred percent.
2: Um. Okay. The next song is "Suck It and See." I really love "Suck It and See." And we've, I think, spoken on some of the other pods before about, you know, we will toy over lyrics forever like on here. Um, But sometimes it's also just about how a track makes you feel. And I always just think this is a really upbeat track. I always just think that this makes me feel good listening to this song. Like There's something about it which feels really um, positive, um, quite romantic. Quite summary as well, and like I've it's always like one for me that I'll go to, like not when I'm necessarily listening to the album, it's just I'll put it in playlists and stuff because I think it's, um, it's just a really, um, lovely, lovely track to listen to. I, I struggle a little bit with the meaning, there's a lot of stuff to unpack within this with regards to females, like jigsaw women, blue moon girls, existing in Shangri La, um. Which all again kind of like talks to this kind of like quite fun and quite enjoyable um, kind of tone, but I, I couldn't begin to probably dissect what it means. But yeah, I've always loved this track, and I think it's a it's a good feel good song as well. Yeah,
0: I think this is one of, this is one of the best love songs ever made. I think it's perfect. This is the second perfect song, two two in a row. Not bad. <laughs> um, I, I yeah, I don't break down the meaning as well, Steve. I kind of like not doing it. I like just listening to it and enjoying it and singing along to it and having such a fun time doing it uh and it's got that thing which i think i i speak about quite a lot but it's the the way he repeats lyrics and sings it in a different way that i just get such enjoyment from that in in music in general Um, and here he's just like doing it so well uh i think suck it and see I, i will never ever tire of this song ever I just know that for a fact.
3: For a title track, it's perfect because it's definitely the most of the vibe that this record is going for, like the cruising down the highway. Like I love to play it in the summer on a good playlist or whatever. The part that always gets me too is like, he does that line of, uh, I poured my aching heart into a pop song and I couldn't get the hang of poetry. And then right after that, that's not a skirt girl, that's a sawn off shotgun. And I only hope you got it aimed at me. And that's so poetic. That's so fucking clever. And like, it's like he's like he knows what a poet he is and he's like contradicting himself by like saying these really poetic things right as right as he's saying that he can't i love that it's the perfect yeah perfect perfect turner yeah yeah
4: yeah
1: absolutely will
4: yeah he's he's completely taking the piss when he like says he can't get the hang of poetry i i I love it um and it the 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 way that song ends like be cruel to me because i'm a fool for you and then just the last um The last pick of the guitar just to end that song beautifully Uh,
1: yeah i agreed actually yeah all my points on this song have been hit by by you
4: guys
1: (laughs) but like i love that ending because i'm a that's
4: why we're the crack arctic monkeys panel um
1: Uh it's It's so like 50s
4: yeah it is it is yeah
1: Uh, Yeah. we're gonna end with that's where you're wrong obviously because this is where the album ends but um will this is for you one of like your favorite arctic monkey songs
4: i think it's brilliant i think it's a. I think it's a really really good closer um and I, I love it because it just has that acceleration at the end of proper just some proper like 70s guitar in there a proper riff a proper jangle about it um and yeah i it's one that i don't think it's the one you can pack pack uh sorry unpack amazingly with the lyrics like Jake was saying so i can see i just love listening to it I just sort of love that, that the start of it sounds like uh, that sort of like the variation of chords at the beginning sounds like it's in the background of a trigger happy TV scene. Um, and it's just like you just see if you put the beginning of that song and you can just like t- two people in squirrel costumes chasing each other like through Trafalgar Square or something like that. It's got that because Dom Jolly was really prolific at using uh, like re- pro- uh, popular indie songs behind uh, Trigger Happy TV scenes. And I always think that um, when that sort of comes on, it sort of sounds like really mischievous and inconsistent that it could be behind something completely ridiculous. But it's got it's got it's got a real vibe for me and I just love listening to it. it it's a really good closer. big big fan of uh, that's where you're wrong would like to see it live a bit more as well
3: Hmm. yeah i love this one too i think it goes so perfectly from suck it and see into this track like they're just like a perfect combination or like lead in from one to another um yeah it's honestly it's probably my favorite on the album i'd say um just in general vibe and i love all the again love the lyricism love like the picture he paints of sitting on the floor with a tambourine. I can just imagine him and all of his friends just like jamming on the on the ground or with a girl or something. And uh yeah, it's just a beautiful closer, beautiful end to uh to this record, Mm. yeah.
2: I think it's the right closer for this album, but I don't think that means I think it's a great closer. Like I think it um certainly of like the body of tracks that exist, it's the one that clearly feels conclusive. I think definitely. And and as you said, I think that that last section where it really ramps up as well feels like the end of something um, for sure. Um, I, I've never um, really. Um, I think I've been used in the past in the in the three albums that came before this that the closers were so epic and they were so unbelievably impactful. And I feel like this was the first time where I didn't quite get that same um, feeling from. This track, there's something a little bit negative about the track as well, like in terms of the lyrics and in terms of um, the, the message that it also sends um, as well. Whereas I think that contrasts with many of the other closers or certainly all the other closers that came before, which were always quite epic and and often quite um, uplifting or comforting, like a certain romance maybe not 505, but I would say the same with Jewelers' Hands as well. So um, I think it's okay, and I think it's the right song to close this album, but not too much more than, than that for me. Yeah, certainly um, the lyric are very cynical, which belies the optimistic
0: sound going on. Um, but what I like about it is it's almost like a reaction to everything he's been singing about. And it's almost like a kind of like, you know, when it says, don't take it so personally, you're not the only one that time has got it in for honey. He's kind of addressing it and acknowledging that kind of like where, how he feels and everything he's been feeling is valid. Uh, But he's also kind of like accepting that and embracing it. And there's like, there's an optimism to be had in that, I guess. Uh, But the whole idea of it is cynical. I do love this song though. I think this song is really, I mean, surprise. I think this song (laughs) is really like pleasing like i listen to it and i'm like yeah this is very satisfying listen i think yeah. the lyrics are actually really underrated I, I kind of forget how good they are in this song they actually re- are really on point um in terms of like a, as an album closer i think it works in terms of the narrative uh just in general that's where you're wrong i again it, it's one i you know i had a friend recently who asked me to recommend loads of the monkey songs not all of them just like pick out your highlights from the album and I was really temp, like concerned about this song because like, I don't know if it works out of context of of what you've listened to before. I do think it kind of fits in and it caps everything nicely. But I put it in and it's now one of his favourites. Oh. Yeah, so, you know, it works. The song absolutely
2: works for a lot of people. There's uh, something completely insane about the fact this song's written by a 25-year-old man. Like, that is really like it's just like kind of triggered by what you were saying jacob about like the cynicism behind it and it encapsulates like it feels like it encapsulates a whole life worth of feelings let alone just like uh you know a, a 25 year old guy and i think that's kind of true of love is a laser quest as well like you actually think about how young that still is and and to have that kind of uh i don't know like that outlook and and to I guess, made sense of those things that have happened to him and been able to then produce that in in such a kind of artistic format is ridiculous for a 25-year-old. Musically, I compare this song to 505
1: and I think that might shock you, but it's two chords. It's the same as 505, just two chords. And I don't know if they were trying to replicate that sort of five. Like 505 is obviously probably, in my opinion, their they're greatest closer. And maybe there was an element of, you know, it's probably just chance but if it was deliberate it's interesting um but i really do like this song as well and i think it's just got that sort of um descending bass line going on as well which i think is quite nice on a song it it just makes for me a, a better melody um but yeah i really i think it's probably in like my top three songs on the album um so it's nice it's a nice place to end um Right, guys, I want to hear your, your concluding thoughts then on, on the album as a whole.
0: I guess it's like, it is It is a very weird batch of tracks, I guess, uh, cons- compared to the previous, uh, and, and and the albums that followed. It is, a, it is a weird one, and maybe they don't kind of love it as much as, or well, certainly as much as Will does, um, because they don't play a lot of the songs when, when they could and would probably please a lot of people. Um, but I think they should be proud of it. I think it's um, kind of, I think, it, I think we could say it's underrated. I, I mean, I would say it's underrated uh, because a lot of people don't name it as their favourite, um, but I think it's a fully, uh, wholly deserved one. I think it's got, it's a concoction, I've said it before, like the song, Don't Sit Down in a Movie Chair, it's kind of emblematic of what this album is. It's a concoction of all this stuff that they've done before, kind of thrown into this like weird mix, like in this bottle and they've shaken it up and they've taken the lid off and they just let it loose. Um, and it's got some really, really astounding tracks. It's got some that don't work half as well. Uh, but it's just satisfying. It's a satisfying album that fits in, I think.
4: Yeah, I, I, love, I love this album. But I think my, my conclusion to the whole album is, and, and this is um, mirrored in the uh, performance of it um, when you look at the sales, it's not it's not a commercial album. It's not an album made to please the masses. It's not an album that's poppy in any way. It's an album Which is, that-
1: I, I would say that it, it is poppy in that it's very conventional like song structures and like accessible melodic stuff, right?
4: I don't know. I, I, I slightly disagree because I think if you look at the album, they bought out next, it was the most accessible, more, more can, accessible yeah. Yeah. the most accessible. compared to humbug. Can, the one that was. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, um, I, I think there's a lot in there that if you, you know, if you look at sort of the mod, modern indie bands and what everyone likes, you know, whether it be like a Coldplay or a Foo Fighters, you know, what you call commercial indie mm. pop bands who, who've really gone off the scale. It's not something that I don't think it would please that, that, yeah, that that segment of people. When you've got um, songs like "That's Where You're Wrong" and "Reckless Serenade," I don't think it panders to anything in, in, at all mm. poppy. Um, but I I really love this album. I love that they didn't pander I, I love the feel they didn't. I I love that they didn't feel they needed to go anywhere like extravagant or sort of reinvent themselves as like a like i'll go touch back on it again but like coldplay when they they, they had parachutes and rush to the blood of the head which are two like two of my favorite albums and then when they went um they had x and y which is okay and then when they when they went to viva la vida they just went astronomically towards this sort of garbage pop sort of just like really like sort of targeting the mid like the middle ages and it was just awful and i'm glad they didn't do that with their fourth album because so many bands have fallen down that hole before and gone to this sort of yeah we'll sell out every stadium we can get and just you know at 90 quid a ticket they didn't go there maybe they went a bit more there with am but am's a credible album that's the difference and i think suck it and see it as well and it, it i think it's today it's their it's their poorest in terms of commercial uh revenue yeah. i don't th- and i think that's maybe why people forget about it. Is it's not as popular but to us fans it's it remains um an absolute diamond obviously and mm. that's what matters
3: i love Suck It and see it's not like my my top favorite or anything but i always enjoy revisiting it and i think uh it's important to kind of consider that in like the scope of their discography this is kind of a very transitional record for them and maybe that's where some of the like incohesiveness comes from that you're hearing kind of these like humbug vibes you're hearing things from the first couple records and I think it goes pretty like it's a pretty like straight trajectory from here to AM where they really got their big commercial success so it makes sense in the discography of everything some really great gems some that maybe we could all just forget and be okay with Um, but overall yeah love it
1: I think that it's, it, what you say there is is sort of summed up in a lot of the reviews from the time as well. Like there was a lot of four star reviews, maybe some three star reviews, some three and a half star reviews. But a lot of people were just kind of grateful, like the ones that maybe didn't like Humbug, that, that they, they moved on from that sound. And I just think that it was like, this was quite a safe record. Like they didn't yeah. experiment too much, but they came out with some good songs. Um, and so it kind of just, kept them in the you know they were known still as a good rock band of course they
2: released yeah, a solid album momentum
3: going mm-hmm. yeah
2: exactly what about you Steve yeah the what funny the word that I've got written down which Katie said is I always thought of this is a transitional album and I think that's such a great description and I do think that it's uh I always at the time i remember thinking I thought it was an album that was a reaction to Humbug as well. It came out such a short time after, really. It was still under two years after Humbug. And I think there was definitely an element, and I think they've been quoted as saying this, of like, let's get back to how we did it in the early days, get some guitars in a studio and record this live. And I think that that leads to mixed results, I think, in my opinion. I think it leads to, as we've spoke about a lot, a little bit less strength of theme. So like, whereas the more thought, like uh, albums that have perhaps been they haven't taken that approach like the Humbugs and the AMs have been felt really strongly thematic, whereas this one was a little bit more varied and that doesn't necessarily have to be a bad thing. I think that there are some massive highlights that we've spoken about, um, in the album. I think it opened up some new themes of songwriting for him, particularly the very pointed love themes, which have come back um, stronger after this album. I think I would just say when I really look at it as a song, uh, and I look through all the tracks. I think it's just lacking a few huge tracks. Mm. It, like I, I sometimes scroll through it, and I, I appreciate, of course, the beauty of an album. And I don't think you need to have big singles to make an album amazing. But I think every other album, I can always say there's two songs there which are just in a different world. Crying Lightnings, Cornerstones, yeah. um, Do I Want to yeah. Know Are You Mine? It's like they are. Every album they've done has just had those absolute pillars, um, and this one maybe is just falls a little bit short in that sense. It doesn't mean doesn't make it any less of a, a great album, but I do think it just lacks those those complete killer tracks.
1: Yeah, well, there was one striking from these reviews that I read. I think it was probably uh, the Guardian that said Suckin' See's worst crime isn't overindulgence, which maybe the other like humbug had been accused of, but it's occasionally sounding. Ordinary, and I'd hate to end up on that kind of <laughs> negative note, but I think that this album does ordinary very well. It does what ordinary rock bands maybe struggle to do, and they're an exceptional rock band. But they can just go out easily and produce a classic rock record, and it's 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 still top of the game in terms of classic rock records. But I just think for them, it's not in their top notch of work. It's just. But for other rock bands, you know, you, they could only dream of writing an album
2: that's good. One last piece. The bonus track is unbelievable and I'm gutted it didn't make it onto the album. Blonder Sonic Shimmer Trap, I think. Yeah, that is, oh, a, that that is, is
1: such a great one, yeah.
2: Yeah. yeah. yeah, that is really good.
1: Amazing, yeah. amazing song. Yeah. Right, guys, thank you so much for joining me. Uh, Suck It and See, uh, another one down. Uh, and I look forward to, to having your company again for uh, the next Arctic Monkeys album podcast, whatever that may be. Um, our options are shortening but thanks guys thank you so much thank you. you
3: guys